Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Okay. Oh, welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello and welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Building Science Podcast. I'm here solo today. Miguel couldn't be here. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about selling performance um, or persuading society to admit that it wants it. Um, it's an interesting topic. It's as though uh, society is experiencing the feeling of hunger and it doesn't know that it refers to food and that food is available. I have with me... Um, Graham Irwin. So you have two Mr. Irwins uh, talking to you today. And Graham was just presenting this at a keynote at the Passive House Conference, uh, FiusCon in Chicago uh, at the end of last week. And it was tremendous. Many people told me that um, they really got a lot out of it. And I thought I would encourage him to reproduce some of it here. And that's what we're trying to do. So Graham is principal architect at Essential Habitat Architecture which he founded in 2008 after his first Passive House training. So Graham, welcome to the show. If you have any more introduction, we're happy to hear it. Thanks for having me. Um, I, you know, I, that sounds pretty solid to me. Um, <laughs> I'm based in San Anselmo, California, about 20 miles north of San Francisco. And Green Build is happening right now. That's and, right. And uh, I just... I just heard Katrin. I just heard from her, and she's there. So I may, I may race in there tomorrow on the ferry to see her before she flies back to Chicago. It's all about relationships. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, to to reiterate, my my keynote presentation was titled "Building Passion for Passive: A More mm. Expansive View of Building Performance," and. And I started that with the sort of discussing my, my path toward Passive House and how I had discovered it uh, and attended the first training in the US in 2008. And, and I left that training. It was, it was actually three at that, you know, the first one you had to kind of do this three, three part pilgrimage over the summer to Urbana, Illinois. For me, Passive House almost immediately it appealed to me. Um, I, I felt like I got it and it made sense and it was something I'd been looking for that I hadn't found before that. And so there was a bit of a leap of faith to go study it. Uh, it was also 2008, sort of in the midst of the mortgage meltdown. So I, I had a design business at that point that had kind of tanked. And I was both excited about this new potential and had some free time. So it was, it was a leap mm -hmm. of faith and I discussed it with my wife and used a bunch of frequent flyer miles to travel to, Ur <laughs> yeah. to travel to Urbana three times over the summer. And, and, and my, my assumptions were confirmed that it really was the thing that I'd been looking for and really was the answer. But the twist was, I was convinced that it would sell itself. And furthermore, mm. yeah, I was convinced that my, 
my draw to it was purely rational, right? And so that any, like, my draw to this was purely rational, and anyone who did, wasn't drawn to it was being irrational. And so, so in any case, I started with that, and I sort of discussed, like, why this just passive building makes so much sense, right? And my elevator, mm -hmm. my elevator pitches, it's, you know, it's the world's highest standards for health, comfort, quiet, and efficiency. And it barely costs anything extra. So that makes perfect sense. Like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't the world just switch to this, right? And I thought, well, especially California and Northern California, and even drilling even deeper, like Marin County, right? We're like, we're like the tree huggers <laughs> of the universe here, right? Like, all I need to do is share with people what I've discovered, and we're just going to go, you know, full tilt on this. And, you know, here we are, when I'm doing the math, 14 years later, and I've done, you know, I've worked on a couple dozen projects, which maybe a quarter, I don't know exactly, maybe a quarter to a half, somewhere in there, of all the projects in California. And I've worked with a lot of great people on a lot of great projects, but it's not, it's not the six to ten projects, uh, passive projects a year that I would like to have to put my firm where I want it to be and feel like I'm really making a difference in, in this thing that we really need to make a difference about. I don't think, yeah. I don't think there are six to ten passive projects in California per year. You know, and we're 12 percent yeah. of the U.S. population. We're like the fifth, fifth largest economy in the world if, if the state were a country. So there's a yeah. lot of potential here that's not being realized. Well, I just want to take you back for a minute, like, to like kind of the root of this conversation. You just said immediate appeal. You got exposed to Passive House and it was immediate appeal. Just like to look kind of a little experiment for you personally. What did that appeal feel like? Or, you know, you just said you... Um, you believe it was a rational experience, but appeal—it's—it's it's probably there's an emotion in there too. That—that's absolutely true. And and sort of the next step I got into in my presentation was beware of the logic trap. And and my oh. and my slide had Doctor Spock from Star Trek on it, right? I mean, we're a nerdy group, Spock. and yeah, and he seemed yeah. he seemed appropriate. Uh, I'm not a Trekkie, but I'm sure there's some episode of Star Trek where he gets trapped by his irrational need for logic, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was one of the movies. Yeah. Anyway, um, so the, the you know, and the quote or the thing I said was being being passionate about something sensible does not mean that you're rational. Being passionate about something sensible does not mean that you're rational. And, and the trouble and the trap is, right, if you, if you think, oh, I, if you're very passionate about something that's sensible and you think, well, that makes me sensible, and, you pro and if you are, you probably have an emotional connection toward being sensible. It's important to you to be sensible, right? And you're, you're interacting with people that aren't picking up on that. The problem is if you think that you're being completely rational and you're not recognizing that you have, an emo you have an emotional reaction involved as well. And then, you know, it gets even worse if you add in 
add in the thought that what you're being passionate about is also morally correct. You, you, basically, and you just said this thing we really need to make a difference in. And I could feel an overtone you, in you there. You basically have ethics. the mindset of a religious fanatic at that point. Yeah, the Passive House conferences, they always have this. And this was, I think, the, the big takeaway for me, one of them, was that, you know, at every Passive House conference, you get the slides about ROI or you get the slides that it's just a small additional expense to have these tremendously positive, you know, myriad tremendous positive outcomes. And, you know, you can just feel they're, they're appealing to rationality, mm -hmm. right? And yet we know people don't quit smoking by, you know, knowing it's bad for them. They quit smoking by going into a new peer group. So that's right. also happening at a Passive House conference. You're in that peer group. Um, but just going back to that initial thing, immediate appeal to you. Yeah. Um, here's one of the things I think is secret and subtle and hidden in, in this information flow system that we're all in right now, especially those of you listening and you, know, you and I being talking here. We essentially filter our experience and we curate ideas. You know, just like, like architecture is fundamentally about curating materials to create experiences for their clients. And by the way, those experiences that we want to create, they're fundamentally emotional experiences. Absolutely. That's what we need to create in our clients. Absolutely. And so what else is happening is we're curating ideas. We're going through life going, oh, that idea resonates. Oh, and it fits with this idea. Absolutely. And, and it, you know, the thing I sort of the point I made is that you need to recognize, you know, even if you are emotionally drawn to this sensible idea and and I'm I don't I'm not even going to debate whether passive building is sensible it's sensible like there's no point going down that rabbit hole but whether whether you're you know when you acknowledge that you have an emotional connection go down it a little bit no I don't I mean like no, good. What I, do already you did. I already did it's the best you know for for yeah. for maybe 10 percent more construction upfront cost, like on, in, at worst case, I can give you the best, one of the best performing buildings on earth. Like, the, okay, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, and, and, and again, we, it, it, this stuff gets talked to death, all the logic of it gets talked to death. It's, all of that is super important and true. It's just that saying it over and over and over and over again, it only connects with the people it's connecting with and and there's a whole lot of other emotional response that it's not tapping into and yeah. and i think the first step in connecting with more people emotionally is to acknowledge and i'm speaking that all of this is you know note to self but if i first of all acknowledge that i have an emotional investment in this as opposed to I'm just I'm rational and everyone else is nuts that's also like a isn't that a definition of insanity right when you think you're the yeah. only sane when everyone else is insane uh, acknowledging that you have an emotional <laughs> connection to that first of all makes you more empathetic toward other people's emotional response and secondly if you can acknowledge and understand what your emotional connection to this is, you can also share that passion with people. And that's what people, that's where they're gonna connect, right? They're gonna connect with your passion. Like why, oh, there's another person. This person is really, really passionate about this and really believes in this. 
that's really exciting to other people, right? And, the, yeah. and not that the logic isn't important and all the science isn't important and all that stuff's important, but that initial subconscious connection come, you know, I mean, and again, science tells us this ironically, right? Science tells us that the science is not the thing that connects people initially. They, right. they respond to emotion. Behavior. Yeah, and I had, a, I had a slide and I said, you know, we're, I know you think maybe I'm suggesting we abandon science and go to emotion and I'm, I'm not. I'm doubling down and I'm suggesting we use science to help us be less rational. And I had the classic photo of Einstein sticking his tongue out as that, that transition. Well, I got a couple of just interjections here. One is Rush, the band, Hemispheres, the album, side one is all about this, right? Just, you know, this sense, this marriage of sense and the soul and which is it we need. And it's, it's, we need both. Right? Mm -hmm. They got to balance, got to balance between emotion and logic. But yeah, I, I also think that what you're speaking to kind of in a very ordinary way to express it is, yeah, we have a neocortex and yet it rides in round in this mammal body. Yep. So fundamentally I'm a mammal and that means I am connected to my peer group, my tribe, you know, my cluster of other mammals. And it would hurt me to watch other mammals get hurt. Like I, I've been told, I've never been a reptile, but I've been told that like reptiles can, you know, watch other reptiles in their family get eaten and it's like no no big deal or even they'll eat their kids sometimes <laughs> i'm not a biologist i don't know about that mm -hmm. but, but i do know that there's a sense of caring that underlies what so many well actually what everybody does and you just have to make sure that that sense of caring which is powerful and, and uh, emotive is also supported by facts right right and, and I, yeah right because yeah it is possible to be emotionally attached to something that is, isn't, isn't sensible, right? And then you're, yeah, yeah I mean, that's obvious all the time. But yeah, I'm, we're, I'm talking about, again, trying to, trying to encourage people to adopt something that is sensible, mm -hmm. uh, which is yeah. Yeah, radical. I don't want to get political. I yeah, just, yeah, yeah no, I'm not either, just, but it, it just, it's not political, right? It's just like, no. we gotta, we got to redo, we got to rethink and, well, we don't, we, we've, yeah, we need to re, as a society, we need to make major adjustments in how we build things. And we know this, and that's mm -hmm. why we're here. Um, yep. So then, you know, then I segued into really what the thesis was, which is um, yeah. building performance, right? And building performance, again, super critical. It underpins all of this. But the is the classic definition of building performance, which is what focuses on thermal comfort Health, and comfort, indoor air quality and use. maybe daylighting and energy use, right? All those things are crucial. I mean, I'm not saying they aren't. They're the basis of it all. But is that an emotive topic for most people? It is for me. It is for you. I'm going to. I'm going to hypothesize because we're already oh, yeah, we're is. already in it. We go to these conferences and we're all about it. But for most people, that's not you know they're not going to argue with it, it and they may even feel guilty. Maybe some people maybe even feel guilty that they aren't more emotionally responsive to that. But it's not. It's just not that emotive for many many people at that level. And so my suggestion. Well, and and let me step back. 
So let's say I was running through this whole process and working on rebranding and marketing for my updated website. You know, I had a website I launched in 2008 that really didn't get changed because <laughs> I couldn't think of what else. <laughs> I couldn't think of what, nothing, nothing more felt like enough. And so I finally got to this point with a lot of help from people that I really admire of, of this new kind of messaging. And as I, was, as I was crafting my website and I was talking about all these experiential things and all these experiential benefits, and then I kind of got to, oh, I've got to write about Passive House, you know, and I've written about Passive House over and over again, like always trying to find simpler, more straightforward ways to convey these things. And I started, and I remember I started going down this road and I was going to say like, oh, your indoor temperature is perfectly controlled. And then I stopped myself and I said, mm -hmm. no one in America wants anything perfectly controlled. <laughs> it's not our ethos, right? I mean, not, like it's it almost like perfectly controlled makes everyone's hair stand on end a little bit because we're just not that. That's not us. And I thought, well, what, you know, what, what, what's a topic around this or a term that would be a motive? And I remember this book from architecture school, Thermal Delight. Delight. Right? And I thought, yes, that is something people could that appeals to people. And I and I had to go back and I reread that book and it's a wonderful book and she's uh, oh, Lisa yeah. Heishong has a new book about thermal you know visual delight in architecture as well which is also super critical about how views and daylighting you know that's what she's built her career around uh, are super critical for people and bio you know not just uh, you were talking about sub you know even at a base biological Mammal. level like really important anyway and she had a she has a great quote in that first book thermal delight saying you know we, we've got the technology now to meet our nutritional needs with injections and pills but no one would argue about the role of food because you mentioned food at the beginning of this in society yeah and you know, a few, I think I'm paraphrasing, but a few tubes of nutritious, of an astronaut's nutritious goop are no substitute for a gourmet meal, right? It lacks sensuality, yeah. it lacks feeling. So anyway, that took me further into this. And I started saying, well, if, if the traditional definition of building performance is not a motive, maybe it should be expanded, right? Or at least... I'm, this is, I'm an architect, this is my messaging, my website, I'm going to talk about a more expansive view of that. And that's basically the talk. And so, as an example, those classic pillars of building performance, if you think about them, are all about separating people from the environment. And that's important, right? If it's really hot or really cold or some other environmental hazard is around us, it, for, for our shelter to be shelter, we need to be separated from that. But yeah. if you're talking about a building, or and I'm, I specialize in homes, but if you're talking about a, a building's performance, wouldn't it 
wouldn't, isn't, it, isn't it equally important to consider how that building can connect us to the outdoors at appropriate times? Right? Separation, yes, obviously we need that. But how about how it can connect us when we want to? Is that important? Mm -hmm. And I would argue that it is. It may be almost as important. Because if you just, if you just took those, you know, as an architect, if I just took those building performance metrics, I could build buildings that would be horrible. They, they would meet all of those things, right? Thermally controlled, good indoor air quality, maybe even daylit, but horrible to be inside. That's not enough criteria yes. to define a pleasant building. And if I'm talking about building performance from my point of view, there are more things to consider than that. And I guess, and the argument is, by being more expansive in this definition, I think we can bring people into it emotionally and have them realize, yes, I get why this matters. And not just logically, but emotionally. Yeah, I love it. You know, like, so we reduce thermal bridging for both energy gains or, you know, prevent energy gain and loss and to control MRT. So, you know, cause your right. body's fun, you know, dominant experience is, is temperatures around you. But to go to a client and say, oh, get this, your house, it's going to have fantastic MRT, mean radiant temperature. You didn't win. You didn't, no. you didn't move the needle on emotion. They didn't go, oh, yeah, that's fantastic. No. Tell me more about MRT. Right. But you tell them, do you want thermal delight? Yeah. Or you're, I will give you a house with fantastic connection to the outdoors. Now... It'll be, you know, even if you're in a noisy place, when you close those doors and windows, it'll block sound better than any, pla any place you've ever experienced. But when you want to open or even, you know, you want to look out, I'll give you better views and better connection to the outdoor than you're going to get in any other house. Yeah. You know, a as an example, right? I mean, so connection to the outdoors, I think, is, is a, a I'm listing that as a measure of building performance. And then I kind of went, right. views, right? How about, how, you know, and, we, and obviously in, in passive building, we do all this energy modeling, right? And, we, and we, we design the building specific, based on its specific relation to its site and its climate, right? And, and on a clinical level, it's all like, oh, well, let's make sure we get enough passive solar gain in the winter, but not too much in the summer. But... You can, right. you can discuss that and you can talk about that in other terms. Like, how about a building that's designed perfectly in context with its site? And, and how is the relationship of this building to the sun, right? Do you get welcome warmth in the winter and, and cooling shade in summer? And can you, can you greet the sunrise and toast the sunset? Now you're getting some emotions into it. But, like, why is that not part of building? I'm, I'm saying it is part of building performance. As it an is. architect, right, that's what we're supposed to be. You know, you engineers ha handle the mechanics of it, but we've got we've to add something to this, right? And, it, and, no, if, and if architects just talk like engineers, they're going to lose. If... if, if as a passive architect, 
if I just talk like an engineer, I'm going to lose to the architects that can connect emotionally. And there's no reason mm -hmm. for that because this is fantastic, right? This is the best. This is the best thing you can do. This is the best thing you can have. It's not a, this is not like me scheming on how to trick people. This is me scheming on how to convince people to have the best thing they can have. The most impactful. Yeah, I think that the pandemic actually seems to have helped with that. People realize my home really matters to me as an amenity. I, I, it, its characteristics and its like performance dimensions really are things that matter to me. Um, and I think for both engineers and architects, you know, I, I, I agree with the dig. Actually, I'm going to go with the dig. It wasn't a dig. Right? It wasn't a dig. Well, it wasn't a dig. Put it this way. You mentioned thermal delight. I, by code and by client request, am basically tasked with thermal blandness, right? I'd like it to be X degrees of, you know, Fahrenheit, 75 degrees and 50% RH inside. And I, you know, I can get in trouble if I can't, you know, give you this thermal blandness consistently year round. And yet I've told many, many clients, um, look, I really want to give you delight. And what I think that means is something like your hallway is at a different thermal condition than when you walk into your living room and then you go, ah, and it just feels different. And it's that transition. It's that um, movement from one to the other, right? You know, so Gail Brager at UC Berkeley is talking about thermal anesthesia. Right, this idea that that's where you're going to really experience delight. But just one more thing. One thing that's very common to both of us, I think, and I think to, like, to a lot of people in the industry, and specifically I know to, to a lot of people at FIAS or Passive House and you and I, it's this, there's knowing how to do this, to bring a fantastic building to existence. And that's, a, that's fascinating. And it's this big, beautiful body of knowledge that I like, literally commit my life to right now. But then there's causing that to happen, right? Knowing how is not causing it to happen. Now, it's like in mathematics, it's necessary, but insufficient, right? right? So what, what I think we're looking for here is like, what is involved in sufficiency? There's knowing how, but then there's causing it to happen. And that's, that is ultimately convincing others. And beyond yeah. that- And then you go back to your mammalian roots. <laughs> beyond that, convincing others that don't already agree. Because right? I've got, and I love these clients. Like I've got clients that come to me and say, I, I've researched this for a year. And I'm convinced that Passive House is the way to go. And, you know, your name pops up and you're the guy. And I love those people. There just are not that many. And, and you know, and I, I made an analogy too. And I was like, you know, you have to realize that most people... Most people's interest in what we do, as shocking as this may be, and this is sarcasm, I don't know if it comes across on audio, but um, <laughs> as shocking as it may be, most people's interest in what we do only extends to the benefits that it can deliver to them and only extends to their own project. Yeah. And I made the analogy of like going to the dentist. Right? Like I'll go to the dentist and, and I, it's happened, you know, the dentist will like start kind of geeking out on some technical thing about dentistry and, and I'm, I'm a curious person and I want to learn things. So I'll, you know, listen to it and appreciate the thought behind it and the whole thing and talk about it. But, you know, beyond 
ultimately beyond what that you know what I need to know for my own dental health I'm gonna leave there and I'm not gonna think about that again it's just not my you know I if I were really passionate about that I would be a dentist so it's the same thing right we get super excited and everyone does everyone yeah. gets excited hopefully about what they do but you know there's a limit to how much our clients are going to pick up on that. So we really, really need to be very careful to, to put it in terms that are about them and benefits to them in, in a way that appeals to them. And so, again, I'm a student of marketing, but the whole thing, the whole thrust these days seems to be identifying your niche right identifying your the av creating the avatar of your ideal client and speaking there to to what they need and what they want magnetizing yeah and and it, yeah. it's just communicate to those people about what they care about and in the context of what you do and so yeah let me let me pause you there yeah. and come and we'll come right back so i wrote it down communicate to those people cuz you just you, and you just said it again right then what we do right and it's interesting we're referred to as human beings and yet we spend a lot of our time kind of relating to ourselves as though we're human doings. Um, <laughs> right. And then interesting. You know, I think yeah. there's a really important distinction and you popped into my head thinking about like, you know, this sense of self-interest, right? This um, sort of unenlightened self-interest and there, I have a job, right? So I pay a mortgage and I buy food and I put my daughter through college and I do these things. And, um, that could be enough. And for some people, it's enough, I suppose. And yet everybody could also realize a larger truth is I have a role in society, even as a, um, a client of yours, like a customer of yours. Right. You know, um, you know, our society, in fact, is referred to as consumer society. <laughs> and mm -hmm. just think about that. You know, we take and we make waste and we use materials and resources and energy and we consume these things. And what we're ultimately trying to get again is it's coming back over and over is this emotional experience is this positive emotional experience yeah and um you know we exist at a time where i mean you mentioned guilt earlier you know people can feel bad for you know having too much glass or concrete or their fossil fuel you know air space and water heating systems whatever but interestingly guilt is not a good emotion no. so I, I would like us both to check ourselves like regret is good guilt means like i couldn't do any better regret means like oh i, I made a choice i wish i had made a different choice mm -hmm. so it's very important for us to like when someone says they feel guilty it's like no please feel regret <laughs> feel remorse sure <laughs> don't feel guilt. and, and i also i don't think yeah. that mm -hmm. is that is you know ultimately the way to connect with people either making them feel oh goodness no yeah. i'm gonna beat you over the head with guilt until right. you change your behavior and, or you know, and so then i sort of said well okay people decide on emotion and justify with logic well okay what you know what do people want emotionally and yeah. so now you're getting back to communicating with those people yeah and i put up is maslow's hierarchy right which is this thing that says that oh, yeah. people like start on the base level with physiological needs like to not be hungry and things like that but as those things are satisfied kind of progress higher and higher up to a more like you know the pinnacle of that is self-actualization or a sense of purpose right and and i kind of sim i simplified it and i said for the point of this i'm going to say there's like three 
three levels of, of what people want. I said comfort on the bottom, like baseline comfort, pleasure, and joy, and joy being the, t the pinnacle of that. And, and I think people will even trade off, well, they do, uh, people will trade off, they'll trade off any of those, but the most successful or satisfying things are often where people will trade off comfort or pleasure in favor of joy. That's, I mean, that's mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, th anyway, that's, then a, it's brave of you to go there as an architect. You've gone well out of your kind of like academic training. Well, I, and yeah. I agree with you, by the way, that ultimately we want joy and it's, it's a profound experience that we taste from time to time. In fact, I don't know if you know, like the myth of the unicorn. Um, mm. It comes from this idea that you can only see the unicorn out of your peripheral vision, out of the corner of your eye. And if you turn to look right at it, it disappears. Okay. And in a similar way, that's how we experience joy. Like when we're completely in the moment connected, we're in a flow state or a conversation or, you know, resonant with our, and then if we stop and say, oh, look, I was in a flow state and I was having joy. We just left it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and any, anyway, then I go on and say, okay, joy, what brings people joy? And there's a, you know. Yeah, what does bring people well, joy? Caring for your... others, connection with others, being seen for who you are, having a sense of purpose, like having your goals aligned with your values, many things like that. Being curious, having. And your actions yeah. aligned with your yeah. values. Having hope, all of these things. So, you know, kind of trying to operate on that level of things. And you were talking about how you as an engineer have this burden to, to maintain a perfect temperature, right? And the thermal blandness. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think to some degree that's true, but I think that in passive building, you, it, it actually enables one to move away from that a little in the sense that the thermal blandness to me, when you say blandness, is flavorless, right? Or it's like, or it's mechanical, yeah. right? It's like a machine gave me this, this heartless, soulless yeah. device. Like, again, it's the astronaut goop. Here, oh, you're hungry? Here you go. Here's a tube of pur purpose, you know, perfectly nutritionally balanced goop yeah. uh, that you can Land. eat in zero gravity. Well, great. Enjoy it. You know, you're not going to enjoy that, but it, it will keep, <laughs> right? It'll keep you alive. And it's the same yeah. with thermal blandness. Although that, that isn't even successful, right? Because there's all kinds of differentiation. You know, they do, they come up, they came up with, what did they study? A, a Sanger, right? It was like, basically like, he took a bunch of 20 year old male Scandinavians and used them as the baseline for his Comfort, and you correct me if I'm wrong. Right. I think it's something like that. It's Ole Fanger with an F, yeah. Ole Fanger. Fanger. I'm sorry, Sanger. Fanger. Yeah. Um, but it, you yeah, know, and then they do studies, and no one's happy. Or you know, and now it's more like statistically, like can you get on the bell curve? Because people, people, you know, want to be empowered. That was another thing that gives people joy: agency, right? So. Adaptive comfort has been shown to, to raise satisfaction more than sticking to some standard. And I would argue that as a, it, it, when you're designing passively, 
a passive building, the role of those mechanical systems is greatly reduced and the size of them is greatly reduced. So it, 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 the building just kind of, you're talking about a flow state, right? The building just kind of is more, much more than, than a building that's being, you know, heavily, heavily dependent on mechanical machine, you know, yeah. machinery. And so another part of building performance, and I, you know, I kind of went into this, I'm like, well, why don't we dive into what, what about the word performance? Like, mm -hmm. if we really go into it, and you say the word performance, and just forget about building performance, like, what else can be in there? You know, and I'm like, hmm. And I have a picture of a, a ballet dancer. And I say, what about balance? Is that part of a, a, a moving performance? What about a yeah. building? What if your building, would you rather a building be balanced with the environment or dependent on machinery to battle the environment for comfort? Isn't that, yeah. isn't that what passive building is, maybe? If you want to mm, narrow it down. That's beautiful. So, yeah. as an, as for a, me, that was emotional just then. Yeah, and as an engineer, you want the building to be in harmony. And as an engineer, that's yeah. It's and you t mentioned uh, martial arts. I mean, isn't that the Tai Chi? Aren't we doing the Tai Chi of architecture? Yeah. Like, and it and it it's just the simple things like, you know, in my climate, we can we can cool. We don't a lot of houses don't have air conditioning here because we 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 it's fairly dry. And um, in the summer, it gets hot in the day, but it cools off at night. But, you know, and you can do this to some degree in a lot of climates, maybe not all the time. But just the act for me of being able to open windows to cool, to cool the building off and just feel that cool air, you know, and then being able to close it. It's just an interaction. It's an interaction with the environment that, that you would miss in a hermetically sealed mechanically conditioned space or even a building that takes you out of that right you've got this air conditioner blasting no matter what goes on your your own individual efforts don't amount to much at that point they're rounding errors That feeling of agency and actually it's like a communion with nature to open the, just simply to mm -hmm. open the window, to, to realize that this indoor environment is separate from the outdoor environment and now it's not. And um, just a super brief air quality plug, like right, the, the ultimate connection to nature is, is through ventilation in some ways. I mm -hmm. mean, I know it's not the emotive one. Mm -hmm. It's not the one that we get so much joy from, but it's one that we'd often don't realize is missing. Mm -hmm. But so we were mentioning the thermal comfort standard, Ole Fanger. You know, I think that something about the ASHRAE standard 55, the thermal comfort standard, it's fundamentally different, is that it's, you know, basic definition is that state of mind that expresses satisfaction with the thermal environment, right? And engineers do not use those language, those terms lightly, so that, you know, they're ahead of us in some sense, or that, you know, this conversation is, yeah. is following that same logic. And the interesting thing about thermal comfort is um, it's like the unicorn of joy in some sense. Like 
you don't notice the comfort. What you notice is the discomfort. Yes. So comfort is the absence of discomfort. And uh, well, so you could be in a flow state and be comfortable. Well, okay, go, go. go yeah, although I would take away from that, and I would say another thing, another slide I have is remember that joy is not the mere absence of misery. And so that comfort is not necessarily the absence of discomfort. In fact, it may be the relief from discomfort. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, why do we like, why do we like being around a fire or if you want to be tech, like, why do we like radiant heating elements so much? Well, we don't in the summertime and we don't really care about them when we're not cold. And I'm not suggesting we, you know, we must be cold for these things, but we, it, you know, it's almost like a yin yang thing. Like you have to have a little of both to be able to appreciate it, right? And that's why if, if your temperature is just the same all the time, there's no joy in that. That's just mm -hmm. like not being yeah. hungry, right? And, and do you enjoy a meal as much if you're not hungry or is part of a really great meal that you were hungry and now you're not? You know, you've been satisfied. Right, and in both cases, Graham, in both cases though, like, and I'm not, um, yeah. I'm not just trying to defend my yeah. point. But so there you are. Let, let's say I um, let's say I live in Texas, which I do, and I come in from a hot day. Mm -hmm. I'm working outside, and I enter my air conditioned home, and I definitely feel like ah, yeah, a sense of comfort. Absolutely. Right? Um, at that moment, when I'm experiencing comfort, my body was probably also overheated relative to what I would like normally, and it was cooling down. So there was like a there was a transition occurring. Mm -hmm. So I was at a state of discomfort, moving toward one of comfort and therefore was noticing it. And then let's say I don't overcool my house, which we don't. We're yeah. 78 to 80 people uh, inside with nice dehumidifier. And uh, 10 minutes later, you know what? I don't really notice yeah. my thermal environment. I'm not sweating. I'm not complaining about it, but I'm not going, ah, anymore. And neither when I'm eating and going, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I was experiencing hunger and now I'm moving towards sated or satiated. But yes. anyway, so that's just my point. Yeah, and, and again, I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting that any of this work is irrelevant or wrong or that we ought to design buildings that are deliberately uncomfortable or any of that. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying like to, to discuss fun. this in, a, in an emotionally connective way is, is not about, oh, we'll keep your building at this perfect point. It's, it's that you will yeah. be, your building will suit your mood year round, right? You'll, yeah. you'll have delight. You will delight in it. That's that, you know, it, yes, if, if your building is miserable, miserably uncomfortable, you can maybe get to that joy point, but that requires a lot of focus, right? You kind of there, and it's kind of back to that Maslow's hierarchy thing, like yeah, yeah. you've got to satisfy some basic things before you can expect somebody to be joyous at another level. Mm -hmm. And then, so I guess, let's, go ahead. No, no, you, I'm, if you have a I flow. Was gonna there, say, I was going to say, so I'm going beyond, you know, and I started with this whole thing of like, if we really dig into the definition of, or, or the, or the possibility in the word performance, right? We can talk about balance. 
we can go beyond. Uh, how about does your building foster connectivity with others? Is that part of a building's performance? I would argue that it is. Yeah. Right? So that, and I'm not talking about on an engineering level, I'm talking on an architecture level and particularly, well, on an architectural level, because it's our job to deliver these things to our clients. But in communicating to our clients, that ought to be part of the discussion. And if we leave all that stuff off, that's a huge, huge thing. How about, how about, does your building, you know, is your, are you proud of your home? Does it express your values? Right? Does it, does, does its performance and design meet the other high standards you hold for other aspects in your life? Or when you think about it, is it kind of a compromise and an embarrassment maybe? Or at least not quite as, yeah, not quite as satisfying as other things. And I'm speaking to the client perhaps. So mm -hmm, there's a whole it. lot of stuff, right? Like if you just, if you drill into performance and you just let your mind go into that space, there's a whole lot of ways. Again, I'm talking about a vertical integration, right? And I'm, I'm not like passive building, all that stuff is the core of this whole thing to me. It's not, I'm not suggesting we stop discussing that at all. It's just you thread that through all of this and make all of it one whole thing. And it's sort of this thing that's popped in my head that I'm going to be talking about more. We have to stop marketing passive building as the spinach of architecture. <laughs> or the kale. Well, the kale, yeah. kale, I mean, kale's a little more hip, right? So maybe the kale is okay. But like, we can't, if it's just this thing and we just keep serving that plate of spinach, Right? Like you can talk about, oh, it's free, right? Or, and again, back to these cost arguments. And the cost arguments are super important, right? Like delivering on more efficiently at cost, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I'm saying blah, 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 like it's not important. It's, it's really important. But for this discussion, those, you're not going to convince somebody that isn't convinced yeah. already. It's free. I don't care about it. You know, it, it's 10% more, I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of being uh, exaggerating. It's 10% more, it's really great. I don't care about it. Okay, it's free. I don't care about it. How much do you need, how much do I need to pay you to take it to where you would care about it? You, I mean, that, those arguments only go so far, and they're super important for bottom line, and they're super important for connecting with people whose emotional drivers are to be caretakers and careful with money, right? And they're also super important for the justifying with logic part, but they're only going to go so far. And, and if someone doesn't care about this, giving it to them for free doesn't make them care about it. You need people to yeah, care about it. Yeah, in fact, it might it. do the opposite. It might. It may very well. But it's not, the, the, you know, that argument only goes so far and it doesn't dig that deep emotionally. So, so I want to just jump in here, right? So we talked about this earlier that we have this neocortex, this phenomenal machine riding around in this mammalian body mm -hmm. and what you have as a mammal you know this is you fundamentally seek um to be safe right yep and safety through relational belonging with your peer group 
And so you popped this into my head when you're saying proud of your house. Um, proud of your house means when you look at your house, you feel a good feeling, right? Um, or maybe not just look at when you perceive your house, which includes all the things you know about your house that are non-visual. And so what you're kind of doing is you're saying my house is, is signaling my relationality. That's what my Prius is signaling. That's what my solar panels are signaling. Or I want to, my, and I want to grab onto that in a minute too, but keep going. Yeah, I think I think that was kind of the edge of it. But you also summed it up. It's like that that seeking relational belonging, that seeking safety, was ultimately anchored in some sort of seeking a good experience, seeking a you know it goes back to emotions again. Well, right before that, I would I would I would even go beyond how you feel about your house, like does the does the way that it shows up in the world and the way it makes other people feel or the way that it fits in with the environment around it, is that part of a, how, a building's performance? I would argue that it is. Because you know, there are mm -hmm. plenty of examples of things that don't do that well and they're terrible and no one cares about anything else about that, right? Doesn't matter, nothing else about that building ultimately matters if it makes everyone around it feel horrible. You mentioned Prius and solar panels, and it's another little bit of my talk, and I think, I think it's important, and I've kind of been on this for a while, for some years, um, I think it's really important for us to find ways architecturally to express passive building or passive house. And I, mm. and I have a slide in the thing, and I pull up, who knows what this car is, and guess it's a Prius. Right. And I say, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a two, I think of 2012 Prius and I got 50 miles per gallon. I'm just trying to remember these numbers. It was about $24,000 base model. Okay. Who knows what this car is? And I pull up another car. It was a 2012 Honda Civic Hybrid. And it got 40 miles, 44 miles per gallon. So not quite as good as a Prius, but about the same cost about the same. And the reason I use 2012 is because that's the last year they made that car. And you know, there's a whole host of reasons why maybe it wasn't a success, including Honda had their gas-powered car that wasn't that much worse, that looked, you know, competing with it, so on and so forth. But I think a big part of the pre, you know, and furthermore, I think Honda in general had a as a brand had a level a sense of a higher level of quality than Toyota, right? But the Prius was, is still around. It's a tremendous success and the Honda Civic Hybrid went away. And I think a big part of it is you buy a Prius, you know, people know what that is, right? The Honda Civic Hybrid that mm -hmm. looked like a Honda Civic, unless you like run up to the badge and see the little hybrid thing on the back, you know, it's not, it's not signaling to anybody, you know, your commitment or your values, right? And it's the same thing with solar panels. Like why are solar panels so much more compelling than an air tightness membrane? Well, because you can yeah. see them, right? They're, it's a signifier, it's a signal. And it's not even just about showing off, but it's a way of saying, like expressing yourself to people. It's expressing your values to people. And we can't, we shouldn't, you know, like, ignore that that's a really powerful yeah. driver yeah absolutely and that and that leads to how we were able to be successful 
uh, as social beings, right, is that we have these underlying drivers. We do value connection and we do value um, harmony, you know, with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I was going to try to bring us back toward toward like takeaways or something, you know, what, are the, what would be crunchy or sort of innumerable principles to um, for people listening that value building science and home performance and health and energy use and environmental existence, right? And what do we do to help them sell home performance, right? Because food does exist. <laughs> Society is hungry and we need to map these two together. We don't need new technologies as much as we need new communication tools, in my opinion. And, and to my, you know, to my thinking, it's not that people don't care about that stuff that you just mentioned, right? People care about that. It just doesn't connect. It's not front of mind emotion, right? Like they're not, they don't have the same emotional response about those things that other people do. Um, and you can't, I, well, I don't know. I'm, it's beyond me, but I don't think you can talk someone into feeling emotionally different. It, it, it's not a talk, it's not a logical argument to make them feel emotionally different. You've got to like connect with them emotionally on that level. Um, there you I, go. You got to connect yeah. with them emotionally yeah. and then maybe it is possible. Yes. And it is possible. Establish trust. You need, and and you, then... Yes. And you need to draw connections, right? Again, like, well, why does a passive building, well, why is that so important to, to this? Well, what about balance, right? And you said you got a little teary about that or there are a lot, I, I would, yeah. I'm going to wager there are a lot more people that if, if they think about, oh, you can have this home that's in balance and in harmony with the environment rather than having this machinery that fights the environment, right? And I know that's, you could nitpick that, but I'm, I, that works for me, right? I mean, that's a statement that I think could carry a lot of weight with certain people. Not everybody, but certain people. Um, I also, and I know cars are, kind of a problematic analogy for a lot of environmental reasons and so forth. But uh, I think I think looking I've been looking a lot at, at electric vehicles or EV marketing as a really good analogy for this, because I think I think that EVs have reached a tipping point in the marketplace where they're not everybody, but enough. It's aspirational, right? Like people are people want them. And I don't mean they make sense to them. I mean, they want them, right? They, it's like an ice cream cone <laughs> or whatever it is. They want an EV. And they don't even, there's a whole lot of rational, you know, rationalization for that. But that's not the, it, you know, they've be, it's become this thing that people want emotionally. And I think passive building is the EV of construction. We just got to get, in terms of, that new platform, that disruptive platform, that's the solution to a lot of these problems. And I found this slide I've used some years ago that I love, and it's, a, it's a, from Germany. It's an Audi, from an Audi website, you know, an Audi e-tron, their electric vehicle. And it's not, it doesn't show the car, it shows the chassis. And it's got all these German, long German words for all the technical components, right? Right. He said, we, you know, we, or I started and, you know, a lot of the marketing around Passive House is really this, right? And this is not, no one's selling cars with this. I mean, and it's not that all that stuff in there isn't important. It is. 
Yeah. But it's important in terms of how it creates this experience of this vehicle, right? And how people feel in it and how people feel about it. And so I think we need to do the same thing. And we need to not, and I, you know, and I picked on poor Trin was there because I just, I can't speak German. I just butcher it. But I mean, we, you know, like rattling on and on about psi values and all these things in Passive House that we're all excited about is like getting really fired up about the battery or the cooling system in an EV. And people will be like, yeah, I get it. Like, I get why it's good to have a battery and I get why it should be cooled. But the reason I get that is because I can drive 250 miles on a charge in this car that feels really great and it, make, and it makes me feel like I'm doing something to help this crisis that we've, you know, we're all becoming increasingly anxious about and I care about my children and I care about the future and this is something I can do. Um, and it's a symbol of all that that's yeah. communicating it's relationally. Like it is, yeah. it's, a, it's a signifier. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like that's, I think, the le I, think the, I think there's a lot there. And I think there's a lot to be learned by looking at how that marketing has been done and how EVs have tipped, have reached that tipping point. Because once Passive House reaches that tipping point, you know, it's, it's a matter of serving demand rather than trying to create it. And that will be a yeah. happy place for all of us. So Danella Meadows, right? Thinking in Systems, I've devoured that book. And she talks about how what's so important is to um, not speak about products, not speak about protocols, but to speak about paradigms, like fundamental paradigms, right? And I think that we are entering a paradigm fundamentally around the world right now where more and more people are admitting in their heart of hearts, if not in their communications day to day, they're in their heart of hearts. They're like, things are different now. Things are changing. Things are um, moving away from a, a, a stable, healthy equilibrium. You know, and I, I, I'm not just referring to the climate crisis, which is profound, but there's there's also social justice issues and environmental justice issues. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we're what we're getting toward is this idea where we want something different. Like you said, you wanted EVs and that really hit me, you want EVs. And it's because there's this fundamental paradigm that we, we need to go a different direction. And I would like to signal that I see that. And I, I'm not just seeing that, right? It's like the um, necessary and sufficient, right? Not just seeing that, but I'm taking action on that. Yes. You know, I don't just want an EV, I'm causing it to happen. And I, and I agree with Passive House, the same thing, it needs to happen, it needs to happen quickly. And uh, very last comment, it was funny, it was happening, you were there. Um, the uh, Club of Rome wrote that book, Limits to Growth in 1972. And there's that famous chart of you know economic wealth basically coming up this ramp from beginning of our lives till now and about to hit this cliff mm -hmm. that we don't see. And um, Danello Meadows was actually the author of, uh, co-author on the update, the 30-year update to Limits to Growth, which I'm about to read. Wow. I'm very excited to read. So it's just funny how it all kind of yeah. that tie together. You, you, yeah, just, I guess, another couple tidbits. Again, student of this, but like in marketing, uh, when yeah. you're talking to people, uh, a generalist sells and an expert educates. And so... You really want to, you really, in your marketing, you want to be educating people and, and giving hmm. them useful information. 
and also personalization, right? Again, tell, tell your story to your people. And so, yeah, again, it's another, yeah, telling mentor, stories, not yeah. just facts. That's right. It's, no, it's all stories. Everything's a story, right? Probably all of it, if you want to dig into it, like even science and math and all of it is probably a story at some level. Um, mm -hmm. But, and, you know, another mentor of mine said that you, you, visitors to your website should feel like they know you after they've been there. So again, it's like tapping into the, tapping into the passion that drives you and sharing that in a, in a story that connects with your audience. I think, I think if you can do that effectively, then you're talking about mammals and all that. They're going to, they're going to be, Oh, that's, that's our tribe. This is a part of our tribe. This person gets what we're about and is about giving us what we want and what we need. And that, that is far more powerful than any logical argument. I agree. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad you're part of my tribe, Graham. Likewise. And I, I think our symbol is that, that limits to growth chart. Um, <laughs> Maybe can we work in like some calligraphy of an I for our last name or something too, or is that too much? Oh, there we go. Well, thank you again, Graham. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you. Uh, it was really uh, inspiring and, uh, and really a, quite a compliment that you've taken your time to listen to what I have to say. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time.